ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we finished last time the chapter regarding the sutra the sutra that a person must take or should take when praying and the descriptions regarding that, the size of it, how far it should be placed in front of a person and some of the rulings regarding walking in front of people who are praying, etc. All of that was covered in the last chapter. Now the next chapter that Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala mentions in Balugh al-Maram Babu al-Hathi ala al-Khushu'i fi salah the chapter regarding the encouragement to be upon khushu' in the prayer, to be focused and concentrating and upon serenity and tranquility in the prayer. This chapter now is going to speak about that topic. The topic of focusing in the prayer, concentrating in the prayer, being serene and tranquil and peaceful in the prayer, focusing what's being done, the worship which is being made, all of the ahadith, or some of the ahadith rather, that are linked to that topic are now going to be discussed in this chapter. Uh, so the first hadith, the hadith of Abu Huraira. An Abi Huraira radiyallahu anhu qal, Naha Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, an yusalliya rajulu mukhtasira, muttafaqun alayhi, wallafdhuri muslim. ومعنى مختصرا أن يجعل يده على خاصرته وفي البخاري عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت إن ذلك فعل اليهود في صلاتهم The first hadith, the hadith of Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه He says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم forbade that a man should pray Muhtasara, this word which is used in this hadith can have several implications. Often what is meant by it is placing of the hands on the waist. Placing your hands on your waist, on your sides, on that part of your body. So the Prophet ﷺ forbade that a man should pray whilst his hands are placed upon his waist. And that is a hadith which is in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim agreed upon. And the wording of that is Muslim. And in fact here it says, وَمَعَنَا مُخْتَصَرًا And the meaning of this word is أَنْ يَجْعَلَ يَدَهُ عَلَى خَاصِرَتِهِ That a person places his hand upon his waist, upon his side. And in the narration of Al-Bukhari, from Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, that is because, indeed that is the action or from the actions of the Jews in their prayer. That was from the actions of the Jews in their prayer, that they would place their hands on their waist. So Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala says at the beginning of this chapter, قَالَ الْحَافِظُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ بَابُ الْخُشُوعِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ ثُمَّ أَوْرَدَ أَحَدِيثَ فِي هَذَا الْبَابِ كُلُّهَا تَتَضَمَّنُ مَشْرُوعِيَةِ الْخُشُوعِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ وَتَرْكُ مَا يُنَافِيهَا أَوْ يُنْقِصُهَا the Shaykh says that Al-Hafid ibn Hajar now has mentioned this chapter regarding the khushu' in the prayer, the focus and the concentration and the serenity and the peacefulness in the prayer. And then he has mentioned several ahadith in this chapter, 
all of them indicate the legislation of having this khushu' in the prayer. And they indicate, these ahadith which are going to come, some of the affairs that would negate or cause your khushu' to be deficient. What are the types of actions that go against your khushu' in the prayer? The types of actions that would cause you not to be tranquil in your prayer, not to be focused in your prayer, not to be concentrating in your prayer. What are the types of actions that would cause a deficiency in your concentration and focus and serenity and peacefulness whilst in the prayer? And there are various ahadith with that regard. And the Shaykh says that these are various ahadith that are going to be mentioned now, but the thing which joins between all of them, all of these narrations that are to come, is that all of them will be speaking about some type of action that goes against khushu'ah. It would make your ability to concentrate and focus in your prayer deficient. These actions that are going to be mentioned in these ahadith which are coming. Linguistically the word khushu' Linguistically that word it means التذلل والخضوع لله سبحانه وتعالى It means to humble yourself and to be subservient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To humble yourself and to be subservient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-khudu' wa-tadhallul. To submit and be subservient and to be humble and to lower yourself in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's khushu' And this is something that is required from a person in his prayer. And the origin of this khushu', this modesty, humbleness, humility, subservience, then the origin of that comes from the heart. That's where it emanates from. This subservience, it comes from the heart. And then it is manifested upon the limbs. It emanates from the heart, and then it is manifested upon the limbs. And how is it manifested upon the limbs? How does this action of the heart, this khushu', this subservience from the heart, how is it shown apparently on the limbs? By having tranquility and serenity. When a person prays in a state of tranquility and serenity and peaceful state, then in that way you can see that the subservience from the heart, the khushu' from the heart, is now being implemented upon his body, physically. Similarly on his voice, how would the khushu' emanate upon the voice of a person, or be applicable upon the voice of a person, that a person lowers his voice. An individual lowers his voice, and indicates that humility in his voice, and subservience in his voice, and that is also from al-khushu' In the prayer, Al-Khushu' fi salah huwa ruh salah Then that is the substance of the prayer. That a person, he prays upon this khushu' that is one of the fundamental core aspects of the prayer. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ That indeed the believers are successful. 
In this ayah, in Surah Al-Mu'minun at the beginning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed the believers are successful. Then Allah mentions certain characteristics of those believers who find this success. The first of those characteristics that is mentioned is, the ones who are the believers that are successful, is the ones who in their prayer are upon khushu'ah. The ones who in their prayer have this subservience to Allah that emanates from the heart and then is manifest upon the limbs in the tranquility in their prayer. That is one of the signs or characteristics of an individual who is upon a success from the believers. The khushu'ah in the prayer. لَمَّا ذَكَرَ فَلَاحَهُمْ ذَكَرَ الصِّفَاتِ الَّتِي سَبَّبَتْ لَهُمُ الْفَلَاحِ so the shaykh says, when Allah mentioned the success of the believers, he mentioned some of the causes or the characteristics that will bring about that success. One of them is that the person has the khushu'ah in the prayer. And in fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began with that characteristic over and above the other characteristics. وَبَدَأَهَا بِالْخُشُوعِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ مِمَّا يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْخُشُوعَ فِي الصَّلَاةِ لَهُ أَهْمِيَّ عَظِيمًا Allah began with the subservience in the prayer, the khushu' in the prayer, which indicates the greatness of that affair. وَلَيْسَ لِلْعَبْدِ مِن صَلَاتِهِ إِلَّا مَا عَقَلَ مِنْهَا عَقِلَ مِنْهَا وَخَشَعَ فِيهِ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ رَبِّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى And the servant when he prays, what he gets out of that prayer, in terms of the reward of that prayer, will be in accordance to the level of this khushu'ah, in accordance to the level of his concentration and focus in the prayer. So then the shaykh says, فَقَدْ يُسَلِّيَ الْعَبْدِ وَيَخْرُجُ بِأَجْرٍ كَامِلٍ Maybe somebody prays, and he comes out of that prayer with the complete reward. وَقَدْ يُسَلِّي وَيَخْرُجُ بِنِصْفِ الْأَجْرِ أو بِعُشْرِ الْأَجْرِ But maybe somebody might pray, and he only comes out of that prayer, finishes that prayer having gained half of the reward, or maybe only gained a tenth of the reward, or be aqalli min thalika, maybe even less than that, oh yusalli wa la yakhruju bi ajrin abada, and maybe somebody prays and he comes out of it, finishes his prayer and comes out of the prayer, not having gained any reward from that prayer. فَالَّذِي لَا يَخْشَعْ فِي صَلَاتِهِ لَا يُكْتَبْ لَهُ أَجْرِ So a person who doesn't have this khushu' in his prayer, he doesn't have this subservience and focus and concentration and tranquility upon his limbs in the prayer, then an individual who doesn't have any of that, no reward is written for that person for that prayer of his. Even though, وَإِن كَانَ لَا يُؤْمَرُ بِالْإِعَادَةِ That person isn't commanded to repeat the prayer. He's not commanded to repeat the prayer. The prayer is legitimate. However, his reward for it is minute or nothing. Because he didn't focus, there was no khushu', there was no subservience, there was no tranquility, none of that existed in his prayer. And so the shaykh says, the level of reward a person comes out from the prayer with, will depend upon the level of his focus in that prayer. The level of the subservience, the khushu' in that prayer. Then the shaykh says, in order for a person therefore, if you've now understood that this prayer, the amount of reward will depend on your level of khushu'ah, then a person needs to understand what are those types of actions that could affect the khushu'ah that you are upon. 
What are those actions that could cause deficiency in your khushu'ah? Therefore causing deficiency in the level of reward that you take from that prayer. A person needs to be aware of those actions in order to avoid them in the prayer, to try to make sure that his khushu'ah is at the maximum level. So now the first hadith then was regarding how the Prophet ﷺ forbade that a man prays with his hands on his waist. And in the narration of Al-Bukhari from Aisha radiallahu anha, the reasoning is given because that was from the actions of the Jews. So in this first hadith then, that's the prohibition that we have, that a person has his hands upon his waist in the prayer. وَهُوَ مَا بَيْنَ الْوَرِكِ وَأَسْفَلِ الْأَضْلَاعِ The Shaykh says that is the part of the body that is just below the ribs, what we term as the waist. وَكُلُّ إِنسَانٍ لَهُ خَاسِرَتَانِ فِي جَانِبَيْهِ And every person has two of these parts of his body. Even though we don't say in English you have two waists, but the waist, we consider it going all the way across, but the two sides of that waist. ثُمَّ جَاءَ الْحَدِيثَ الَّذِي بَعَدَهُ فَعَلَّلَ ذَلَكَ بِأَنَّهُ فِعْلُ الْيَهُودَ وَمِنَ الْمَعْلُومِ أَنَّنَا قَدْ نُهِينَا عَنِ التَّشَبُّهِ بِالْيَهُودَ and in the hadith which came after it, it gave the example or the reasoning, which is that this is from the actions of the Jews, and we've been commanded to not imitate the disbelievers. As mentioned in the hadith, مَن تَشَبَّهَ بِقَوْمٍ فَهُوَ مِنْهُمْ Whomsoever imitates a group of people, then he is from them. So we've been prohibited from imitating the other groups, the other individuals, the other people, the disbelievers. And so here the reasoning was given in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, that you are not to put your hands on your waist during the prayer, because that was from the actions of the Jews in their prayer. There's another reasoning that some of the scholars they give also. They say that this action of putting the hands on the waist, then it is a, a sign of arrogance, a sign of pride. So again, that is something which is not befitting, because arrogance and pride, they are opposites to subservience and humbleness and humility. Arrogance and pride, they contrast, they are contrary, they are in opposition to humility and subservience. So this action, if one of the reasonings is that it indicates arrogance and pride, then that will clearly be something that makes a deficiency in your subservience and humility and humbleness and modesty in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for those two reasons, it's mentioned that this action is prohibited in the prayer. هذا هو المعروف, or rather the shaykh says, what a person is actually supposed to do, as it's mentioned in various ahadith from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, which we're going to come to later inshaAllah, is that a person places his hands upon his chest, the right hand on top of the left hand, on top of the chest. That is what is mentioned in the sunnah. As for this action of placing the hands on the waist, then it is from the imitation of the Jews in their prayer, and it is from the uh, signs of arrogance and pride, and that is something which would therefore cause a deficiency in the level of khushu'ah, because arrogance and pride, they are completely opposite to subservience and humbleness, and humility and tranquility. This is the most famous explanation of what this hadith means with regards to the ikhtisar, which is placing the hands on the waist. Some of the scholars have however said 
They have said that there's a different meaning to it, and they say the meaning of it is that a person should not take a stick and lean on it in prayer. That you shouldn't have a stick that you lean on in prayer. Because that is also linguistically the same word in Arabic. إِلَّا أَنَّ الْبَعْضَ فَصَّرَهُ بِأَنْ يَأْخُضَ عَصَى أَوْ مَا يُسَمَّ بِالْمَخْصَرَى يَعْتَمِدُ عَلَيْهَا Some of the people, some of the scholars, they uh, gave the explanation of this hadith that it doesn't mean that we were prohibited to put our hands on our waist. It means we were prohibited to lean on a stick during the prayer. That a person should not take some type of stick and be leaning on it in the prayer whilst praying. That is one explanation. وَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ and some of them even said, الْإِخْتِصَارُ فِي الصَّلَاءِ أَنْ يَقْرَعَ مِنْ أَوْسَطِ الصُّورِ أو مِنْ أَوَاخِرِهَا يعني كَأَنَّهُ يَخْتَصِرُ الْقِرَاءَةِ Some of the scholars said that the meaning of this is, because linguistically it can apply, they said that it is, that we have been prohibited to recite very short surahs in the prayer. That a person should not make his prayer short, with extremely short surahs. That is one, one uh, explanation that has been given also. However, the popular and uh, uh, most famous explanation of this hadith, which is the tafsir of this ayah, is the act of placing the hands on the waist in the prayer. That is the popular and the correct understanding of this hadith, as mentioned by many of the scholars and people of knowledge, that it is the prohibition of placing the hands on the waist in the prayer, due to the narrations of, or due to the uh, reasonings of imitation of the Jews and arrogance and pride. فَدَلَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَلَى كِرَاهِيَةِ الْإِخْتِصَارِ فِي أَثْنَاءِ الْقِيَامِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ وَأَنَّهُ يَنْقُصُ وَيَنْقُصُ الْخُشُوعِ أَوْ يَتَنَافَ مَعَ الْخُشُوعِ وَالْمَشْرُوعُ أَنْ يَعْمَلَ مَا كَانَ يَعْمَلُهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ مِنْ قَبْلِ يَدَيْهِ وَوَضْعِهِمَا عَلَى صَدْرِهِ So this hadith indicates the disliked act of placing the hands on the waist in the prayer, and instead what a person should do is implement the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in placing the hands right upon the uh, left on top of the chest as the Prophet ﷺ would do. So this is the first act which has been prohibited in the prayer, which goes against the khushu' of a person whilst praying, placing the hands on the waist. The next hadith, عن أنس رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا قدم العشاء فابدأوا به قبل أن تصلوا المغرب متفق عليه If the evening meal is presented then begin with that before you pray the maghrib Hadith which is agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim إِذَا قُدِّمَ الْعَشَاءِ الْعَشَاءِ هُوَ طَعَامُ الْعَشِيِّ Al-Ashaa is what we would call the evening meal, the supper. If that evening meal is put forward, it is ready, it is there to be eaten, then the hadith says, begin with that before the prayer, before al-maghrib. يَعْنِي أُحْذِرَ الْعَشَاءِ وَهُيِّئَ لِلْأَكَلِ Meaning that the food has been brought forward and it is prepared and ready to be eaten. And the time for the prayer has come. Whilst the 
وفي حين يكون قلب الإنسان متعلقا بالطعام فلذلك أمر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بتقديم العشاء من أجل أن يتفرغ المصلي من الشواغل التي تشغله عن صلاته The Sheikh says that no doubt the prayer it requires a person to be upon that khushu' and for his heart to be in the prayer, for his heart to be focused on the prayer. And if a person was to pray the prayer first, knowing that the food is there ready and prepared to be eaten, then that would be something that takes his concentration away. And it would be something that would cause his heart not to be focused on the prayer but to be partially focused upon this food also. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ commanded that if that situation arises, that the food is ready and there and prepared, uh, then a person should eat first in order to free himself of that distraction, to complete the food and to eat his food, and then to pray. Because once he's eaten, then that distraction is gone. And his heart can now focus completely and be subservient completely to Allah in the prayer. Rather than praying and in a state of hunger and half of the focus on the food, then that indicates that the khushu'ah would not be complete. So again, that is something that would make a deficiency in the khushu'ah of a person. If there was food that was ready and prepared to eat, and he was going to pray first, then half of his focus would be on the food. So that's why in this hadith it is mentioned that if that situation occurs, that a person prays after eating. He eats first in order to remove that distraction from himself, from his heart, and then to pray the prayer afterwards. Because the shaykh says, if you do not do that, then whilst you're praying, then the thought of that food will be floating around in your head. Whilst you're praying, you'll be thinking about the food. And so, in order to remove the distraction, the prayer is delayed until after the food has been eaten. This indicates therefore clearly that a person, the believer, the Muslim, uh, it is required from him to have the khushu' in the prayer. And that he needs to avoid the acts that would distract him from that prayer, or the khushu' in the prayer. And from amongst those acts are, no doubt, the desire to eat and drink, which would distract a person, therefore that is given precedence in that state. This hadith also indicates the mercy of Allah upon His servants. Due to the fact that when, because Allah knows the weakness of the servants, فَإِنَّهُ تَجَاوَزَ سُبْحَانَهُ لَهُمْ أَنْ يُعْطُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed them to have what they desire from the mubah, from the permissible and allowable affairs in terms of this food, قَبْلَ أَنْ تُقْبِرَ عَلَى عِبَادَتِهِ Before they then come forward to obey Allah and to be obedient in that worship. In order to be able to then come forward purely focused on it. وَسَيَأْتِ قَرِيبًا مِنْ هَذَا الْمَعْنَى حَدِيثٌ آخَرٌ And there's another hadith which is going to come, which has a similar meaning to this. لَا صَلَاةَ بِحَضْرَةِ الطَّعَامِ There is no prayer when food is prepared and ready, which also indicates the same meaning. What does it mean though in this other hadith that there is no prayer if the food is ready and prepared? 
لا صلاة في حضرة الطعام أو بحضرة الطعام There is no prayer if food is ready and prepared What if the food was ready and prepared and a person decided to pray first anyway and then went and ate Is that prayer valid then or not? Correct, hungry though. A person is hungry. In that situation where a person is slightly hungry, but he still prays first even though the food is ready. And the hadith says there is no prayer if the food is ready. So now he was slightly hungry and the food was ready, but he decided to pray first anyway. And so his mind may have been slightly distracted during the prayer. And then he goes and eats. Is that prayer valid or not? No, you're right, but there we have evidences that you're supposed to do that. There's evidences that say, eat the uh, dates, etc., open the fast, and then go and pray. There are evidences for that specifically. But here in a general situation... Is it because it's not notified of the prayer? Does it mean you are Muslim reward out? It's acceptable, but the reward's not Correct. It doesn't mean, these ahadith don't mean in that situation, if a person did still go and pray, and he was slightly thinking about the food during the prayer... The prayer is still valid, but the level of reward, like we said at the beginning, would decrease slightly because his level of khushu' in the prayer would be deficient slightly because he would be thinking about the food. His focus and his concentration to a degree would be on that food. So his level of khushu' would be slightly deficient. Therefore, the level of reward he gets would be slightly deficient. And that's what the hadith means, that there is no prayer when food is present, i.e. you're not going to get the complete reward for the prayer. Because no doubt, if you're hungry and the food is there, a slight part of your mind is going to be focused on that. And therefore your khushu is going to be slightly deficient. And therefore your reward is going to be slightly deficient. And that's what the hadith means, that the prayer, you won't get the full reward, because you won't have the full khushu if you're thinking about the food. And as the brother mentioned, the scholars have said, of course, if the food was there and prepared, and you're full anyway, you don't desire the food. You're full anyway, you've just eaten. And you come home and there's another uh, food, amount of food on the table. You're already eaten, you're not hungry whatsoever. Then if you go and pray, you're still focused 100%. You're not thinking about the food, you don't care. Then in that instance, there's no issue. But here the hadith are talking about that scenario where a person, his focus goes because of that food. Here the shaykh says there are two things that we must highlight regarding this issue. Firstly, أَنْ لَا يَتَّخِذَ الْإِنسَانُ وَقْتَ الصَّلَاةِ وَقْتًا لِتَقْدِيمِ الطَّعَامِ بِحَيْثِ يَجْعَلُ وَقْتَ الطَّعَامِ بِشَكْلٍ دَائِمٍ فِي وَقْتِ الصَّلَاةِ A person should not abuse these rulings. A person should not make it a habit that his evening meal always ends up being at the time of Isha. Or that his evening meal is always prepared at home at the time of Maghrib. That isn't befitting and that isn't what should be done and that is incorrect. This individual, he has gone to an extreme. He's fallen into extremism in this act, whereby all the time his food is being prepared for him at that time when the prayer is in, at the time when Maghrib is in, at the time when Isha is there at the Masjid and Jama'ah. That is not something that a person does. But the point of these narrations is, if on some occasion it happened, you come home, for example, your intention is, I'm just going to get ready and go. You come home, all of a sudden the food is there and ready. You have this situation now. But in a 
uh, a scenario where a person is regularly and consistently having his food at the time of the prayers, and that isn't what, me- what is meant by these narrations, that you have a, a free ticket, as they would say, sit down every prayer and eat and say with the excuse, I don't have to go to the masjid because I'm eating at every prayer time. That isn't the meaning of these narrations. Rather, the meaning of it is, the shaykh says, إِذَا حَصَلَ بَعْضَ الْمَرَّاتِ مِنْ غَيْرِ If it happens on some occasions without intent, you don't make it a plan that I'm going to order my food at a certain time and it's going to end up coming just before the prayer, so I won't have to go to the masjid. That is incorrect. The purpose, the shaykh says, is مِنْ غَيْرِ Without you actually planning that, without you intending that, it just so happens that the food gets ready at the time of the prayer. Or you ordered an hour before the prayer, but the takeaway was late, and it just so happened it only arrived before the prayer. In those instances where you don't intend it, you don't plan it, it just so happens, then this is the hadith that you eat first, and then you pray. Not that a person makes an intent to do that, to get the food ready at the time of the prayer, so he misses it. Also not to make a habit of that, where the food is always being prepared at the time of the prayer. The second issue that must be noted as well is, وَهِيَ إِذَا كَانَتِ الصَّلَافِ آخِرِ وَقْتِهَا We spoke at the beginning of this section on the chapter of the prayer, on the times of the prayers. And we mentioned each prayer has certain times that they have to be prayed in. The Fajr prayer was, from the uh, dawn, the second dawn, from the second dawn up until sunrise. Remember we said there was the first dawn, that is the false dawn, then there was the true dawn, the second dawn, from there up until sunrise was Fajr. Dhuhr, after the midday point, when the sun starts to move across to the west, and your shadow starts slightly on your east, when that point occurs, Dhuhr begins, and it continues up until the shadow is equal to its length. To the length of the object. Asar. Up until double of the length of the shadow. Of the object. Of the object. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it starts from when the shadow is equal to its object. And it continues up until... Double the length is mentioned. There was something else we mentioned though. There were some other narrations. Before the sun goes orange. Before the sun becomes the yellowy orangey color. That's the preferred time to pray Asara. Many of the scholars they say you can continue up to Maghrib but only out of necessity. And Maghrib after sunset till until it gets darker. After sunset till until the twilight disappears. The redness in the sky. After sunset, it goes dark, but redness, haziness remains. That twilight, I think they call it, that redness, haziness when it disappears, that's when Maghrib finishes and Isha begins. And that continues till... Half of the night is what some of the scholars mentioned, and the other opinion was... A third of the night. And some of the scholars said, you could continue up until Fajr, but out of necessity. They were the times of the prayers. Here the Shaykh wants to make the point... What if now, for example, Maghrib, it's at the end of the time for Maghrib, the twilight, the redness is about to disappear, and you come home, all of a sudden the food's on the table. Now what do you do? If you sit and eat, 
By the time you finish, Maghrib time will have ended, Isha will have begun. So now do you sit down and eat, or now do you have to go and pray? Which of the two do you do now? Because on the one hand, the hadith says you'll be focused on your food. So your khushu will be deficient. On the other hand, if you sit and eat, the time for the prayer is going to go. So what do you do in that situation? Uh huh. Out of the prayer time. Correct. So the times for the prayers, as the brother quoted the ayah, the times for the prayers are prescribed. In Those times are prescribed times, and we've spoken about those prescribed times. So you have to pray the prayers in those times. So here the Sheikh says, "Qalu uh, the scholars they say yabda'u fi in this situation, a person begins with a prayer. You begin with the prayer. So that the time of the prayer doesn't exit. If the food it comes, then begin with that. Then the meaning of that is restricted to a situation where there is still ample time for the prayer even after your food. But if you're in a situation where you sit and eat, and by the time you finish the prayer time will have gone and the next prayer started, then you don't sit and eat. Then you go and pray to make sure the prayer is prayed in its time, and then you return for the food afterwards. So that is the second issue that is mentioned that could uh, decrease uh, the khushu of a person in the prayer. And so a person should be aware of that. After that, Anabi Dhar radiallahu anhu qal, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا قام أحدكم في الصلاة فلا يمسح الحصى فإن الرحمة تواجهه رواه الخمسة بإسناد صحيح وزاد أحمد واحدة أو دع وفي الصحيح عن معيقيب نحوه, نحوه بغير تعليل the hadith of Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu says that the Prophet said, if one of you stands for the prayer, then do not wipe away al-hasa. Al-hasa are like the small pebbles and small stones that you might uh, catch on your forehead when you go into prostration, particularly outside, not in the carpeted masajid. Then don't remove them because indeed the mercy, it, uh, the mercy, is in front of you, the mercy confronts you. The mercy is facing the person. What does this hadith mean then? Al-Muradu bil huna turab. The Shaykh says the point of it is the soil, etc. The soil, etc., the stones, the pebbles, whatever it might be that you're going to prostrate on. Then those, because the Shaykh says, particularly in those times, the masajid, the mosques. They weren't like this now. There would be sand and pebbles and stones on the floor where they would prostrate upon. So it includes all of those types of things. Sands, pebbles, stones, etc. Whatever you prostrate upon. لا يمسح الحصى That a person should not wipe that away. When you prostrate, then you might get some small pebbles, etc. sticking to your forehead. Some bit of dust sticking to your forehead, your hands, etc. Then not to wipe that away. During the prayer. 
فَإِنَّ الرَّحْمَةَ تُوَاجِهُهُ Because the mercy is in front of him. قِيلْ مَعْنَاهُ إِنَّمَا عَلَّقَ بِجَبْهَتِهِ مِنَ الْحَصَى أَوْ التُرَابَ أَثْنَاءِ السُّجُودِ عَلَيْهِ أَنْ لَا يَمْسَحُ بَلْ يَتْرُكُهُ عَلَى جَبْهَتِهِ لِأَنَّهُ رَحْمَةٌ وَأَثَرُ طَاعَةٌ So the scholars, they say, some of them, that the meaning of the hadith is, if you prostrate and something sticks to you, stones, pebbles, uh, dust, etc., then don't wipe that away, because it is a sign upon your obedience to Allah. It's a sign upon your obedience to Allah that you go into prostration and these pebbles and uh, dust, etc., it's stuck to your forehead. That's a sign of your obedience to Allah, for you having lowered the most honorable part of your body down into the dust to prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so it is uh, beloved to Allah that the signs of worship, they remain upon a person. As for uh, the mark some people get on their foreheads, some people they get a mark on their forehead and people they say this is a sign of piety. This is a sign of piety that the person is prostrating and is always in sujood. It could be. It could be that the person due to a lot of prostration and a lot of obedience of praying has developed this sign on his forehead, this mark from the continuous prostration. It could be. However, the scholars, they say that's not something that is in the Qur'an or the Sunnah, that a person who develops this uh, mark, sometimes some people get that this is a sign of their piety. Some of the scholars, they said, I think Shaykh Ibn al-Uthameen, rahimahullah, he said maybe some people have just got soft skin, maybe he only barely prays, but just a few prostrations in a day, he ends up with the mark. It's not a sign of excessive ibadah and worship, just to get this mark. But some people, they may have it, due to the certain type of skin, etc., from prostrating. But that isn't a sign. Now this person is by necessity now upon obedience and worship and piety. As some of the scholars they mentioned. But here, this dust or the pebbles or the stones that cling to a person, when he prostrates, then it's mentioned, do not remove them because they are a sign upon the obedience that you have just done. And this is similar to the hadith, لَخَلُوفُ فَمِ الصَّائِمِ The أَطْيَبُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِرِيحِ الْمِسْكِ That the person who's fasting... Then the fragrance or the smell that comes from the fasting person's mouth is more beloved to Allah than misk, than the fragrance of misk. So again, that is one of the signs of your worship. When a person is fasting, then it's known that the smell of the mouth, it changes. And that is one of the signs of the worship of that person. Another example that is given is the people that are buried from the martyrs. That they are buried without being washed, with their blood still upon them. That is a sign of the obedience that they were doing. That they were killed in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they were resurrected upon that. So upon that, it's mentioned that a person shouldn't remove this uh, because it is a sign upon his worship. And there is mercy of Allah within that. So the person remains upon that state. ثُمَّ إِنَّ فِي مَسِّ الْحَصَابِ مِنَ الْحَرَكَةِ أَلَّتِي تُشْغِلُ الْمُصَلِّي وَتُقَلِّلُ مِنْ خُشُوعِهِ But the purpose of this hadith here in this chapter is that if a person did remove that, then that again would be a type of movement in the prayer which would cause deficiency in your khushu'ah. If a person was praying outside now, and every time they go into sujood, then they pick up bits of dust or little pebbles, and every time they are moving around, flicking their forehead, their, their palms, after every sajda, then that is movement, unnecessary movement in the prayer, which is distracting you from your focus. So that's the point of this hadith here. That a person doesn't do that. 
And if you do do that, start flicking around from your forehead, from your palms, every time you go down into the sujood, etc., uh, and you start flicking away from your thobe and all these places, then that is unnecessary movement in the prayer that would cause a deficiency in that person's focus and khushu'ah. وَلِهَذَا جَاءَ النَّهِيُ عَنْ ذَلِكَ And this is the reason why the prohibition it came. إِلَّا أَنَّهُ إِذَا كَانَ يَتَأَذَّى مِنْ شَيْءٍ عَلَّقَ فِي جَبْهَتِهِ أَوْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ أَلَّتِي يَسْجُدُ عَلَيْهَا مِنْ شَوْكٍ أَوْ شَيْءٍ يُؤَثِّرُ فِيهِ مِنْ حَصَى أَوْ غَيْرَهِ فَإِنَّهُ يَزِيلُ هَذَا لِأَجْلِ الْحَاجَةِ The exception to that is the Shaykh says, if there was something that a person is harmed by, you go into prostration and there's a prickle or a thorn or something of that nature, and that clings to you, then of course you can remove something like that. Something which is harmful to a person, if it was to cling to you, then that is possible for it to be removed. Or even if a person was praying, and as he goes down into sujood, he notices something harmful there. There are some thorns or prickles, etc. just there where he's about to prostrate. He hadn't noticed it when he started. Then as he goes down into prayer, he's allowed to flick it away. Because if he doesn't, then his forehead's going to go onto these thorns. So out of necessity in those situations, it's permissible to make this movement, to flick things away, etc. if that was going to harm a person. And that's why the Shaykh says, it is befitting that an individual should prepare the place where he's going to pray. To make sure there is nothing dangerous or harmful or anything that is going to require him to be moving around and messing around in the prayer. To do that before starting the prayer. Clean the area, make sure there is no thorns and pricks, etc., so that you can prostrate and pray without being worried about having to clean this or clean that or remove this or remove that. So again, the point of this hadith is that this movement in the prayer, unnecessary movement would be something that causes a deficiency in the khushu'ah of a person. And that is what the next hadith leads on to exactly. The hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha qalat, سَأَلْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَنَ الْإِلْتِفَاتِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ فقال هو اختلاس يختلسه الشيطان من صلاة العبد رواه البخاري وللترمذي عن أنس وصححه إياك والالتفات في الصلاة فإنه هلك فإن كان لا بد ففي التطوع حديث عائشة رضي الله عنها she says I asked the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم about moving in the prayer about movement in the prayer so he said, هُوَ اخْتِلَاسٌ يَخْتَلِسُهُ الشَّيْطَانِ That is something the shaitan steals from you. What's the word they give? Snatches. Something the shaitan he snatches from you, he steals from you. Meaning in terms of your reward. He whispers to you to make you move and to move around in the prayer. Then he has sneakily taken some reward away from you. He has snatched some reward away from you. The individual who moves around in the prayer. That is a hadith in Al-Bukhari. Then in Tirmidhi, from Anas radiallahu anhu, it says, Be warned from moving around in the prayer, for indeed it is destruction. Moving around in the prayer, it is a disaster, destruction. فَإِنْ كَانَ لَا If you really have to, if it really does occur, then in your supererogatory prayers. Make sure it doesn't occur in the obligatory prayers. So all of this indicating clearly this issue of movement in the prayer. Um, so in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, she asked the Prophet wasallam, is movement in the prayer permissible or not? So the Prophet said, that is the shaitan snatching away from you. 
If you move around, then the shaitan is snatching the reward away from you. And in the other narration, be warned from this movement in the prayer. What does it mean when we talk about movement in the prayer? Movement in the prayer, it could be two types. It could either be movement in the prayer with your head, moving the head around, or it could be movement in the prayer with your whole body, physically, everywhere. So either your body stays still and your head moves around, movement in the prayer with your head, or the whole body moving around in the prayer. So two types of movement in the prayer. وَالْإِنْحِرَافُ بِالْوَجْهِ يُكْرَهُ كِرَاهَ تَنْزِيهِيَّ وَلَا يُبْطِرُ الصَّلَةِ As for movement of the head, a person moves around the head in the prayer, but his body stays still and focused towards the direction of the Kaaba. But his head moves around. That is something which is clearly disliked. Something that is clearly makruh for a person to be moving his head around. But as long as it's only his head and his body is facing the Kaaba, even though he's doing something which is wrong, and he shouldn't be doing that, the prayer is not nullified by movement of the head alone. Movement of the head alone is something clearly disliked, clearly makruh, clearly should be not done, but it doesn't nullify the prayer, movement of the head alone. However, it makes the prayer deficient, no doubt, because movement of the prayer then that causes the distraction to a person, it causes his khushu'ah to be deficient, and therefore his reward to be deficient. So it makes the prayer deficient. A person who's messing around with his head moving around here and there, makes the prayer deficient. وَأَمَّا الْإِنْحِرَافُ بِالْبَدْنِ كَأَنْ يَسْتَدْبِرَ الْكَعْبَةِ أَوْ يَجْعَلَهَا إِلَى جَنْبِهِ فَهَذَا يُبْطِرُ الصَّلَةِ As for a person moving physically with his body, if a person moved around with his body to the extent that he is no longer facing the Kaaba, his side is facing the Kaaba, or he moves so much that his back is towards the Kaaba, if he moves with his body physically to a degree whereby he's no longer facing the Kaaba, his body is not in line with the Kaaba anymore, his side is facing the Kaaba, or his back is facing the Kaaba, then that level of movement false, uh, nullifies the prayer. That amount of movement in the body to the extent you're no longer facing the qibla, nullifies the prayer. And we already know that. We already mentioned in the conditions of the prayer, one of them is to face the qibla, to be in the direction of the qibla. So if the body is no longer in the direction of the qibla, then that is something uh, which means one of the conditions of the prayer has been lost. And so that prayer is nullified. Except in a state where there was a need. If there was some situation where there was a need or a necessity to move in the prayer, then that is an exception. Uh, the Sheikh mentions certain examples, the prayer of fear, when a person is praying, for example, in jihad, and you fear the enemy, etc. So there may be movement to uh, uh, make sure that you're still covered, etc. Or uh, some predatory animal or snake, as you mentioned before in those narrations, causes you to have to move. Those are necessities in extreme situations. But otherwise, movement of the body away from the Kaaba nullifies the prayer. Uh, then the Shaykh goes on to explain in more detail, Al-Ikhtilas, movement in the prayer with the head, etc. Or other small movements that don't take you away from the Kaaba. Then it is Ikhtilas of the Shaytan. Meaning, أَخْضُ الشَّيْبِ خُفْيَ وَعَلَى غَفَلَ that uh, something is taken from you whilst you're uh, uh, absent-minded. 
whilst you're being negligent and absent-minded, something is taken from you. Something is snatched away from you, deceptively removed from you. And this is what the shaitan, he does. Because when a person, the shaitan comes and whispers to him, because no doubt the shaitan wishes to try to misguide this individual and to cause corruption in his acts of worship and obedience, then when that person, he comes, uh, when the shaitan, he comes to that person, and he whispers to that person in order to cause him to move here and there, and the person ends up moving here and there, messing around, then it's as if the shaitan has now snatched away from that individual the amount of reward he would have got had he not listened to those whispers of the shaitan. فَالشَّيْطَانُ لَعَنَهُ اللَّهُ حَرِيسٌ عَلَىٰ إِضْلَالِ الْعَبْدِ وَإِغْوَائِهِ وَحِرْمَانِهِ مِنَ الثَّوَابِ The shaitan is keen to make sure that people do not get their reward from their worship. فَهُوَ يُحَاوِلُ أَنْ يُسْرِفَ الْإِنسَانَ عَنِ الصَّلَاةِ So the shaitan, he tries to make a person uh, leave the prayer or to abandon the prayer or to nullify his prayer. وَإِمَّا أَنْ يُغَيَّرَ عَلَيْهِ فِي صَلَاتِهِ مِنْ أَجْلًا يُخِلَّ بِهَا وَيُنْقِزُ ثَوَابَهَا Or at the very least, he will come and try to distract that person and make him move around to the extent that his prayer is at least deficient, if not nullified. Uh, and so from amongst these types of whispers is that maybe the shaitan comes and causes the person to move around and look here and look there, causes some whisper in his head and the person moves. And this type of action again causes the deficiency in the khashi'a khushu' and therefore the deficiency in the reward. فَلِلْتِفَاتُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ مِنْ غَيْرِ حَاجَةَ مَكْرُوهُ So moving around in the prayer without any need whatsoever, then that is makruh, it is disliked. If it is with the face only, if it was with the body, then, uh, no, firstly, If the movement was for some need or necessity, then it's permissible. But otherwise, movement without need or necessity is not correct, and it is something that causes deficiency in the prayer, deficiency in the reward. There's an example of one of the companions where he moved his head in the prayer. We covered it already. There was an example of a hadith where one of the companions, he moved his head in the prayer. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu when the Prophet was ill and then afterwards he came out and the people started to indicate that the Prophet is here. And then eventually Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu looked around. He turned his head, not his body, his head, to see. And he saw the Prophet and then he moved back and the Prophet moved forward and continued. Uh, As for the uh, supererogatory prayers, then the affair is more wider, it's uh, much more leniency in it when it comes to supererogatory prayers. Regarding this movement, how do we know? Another hadith that we've already done. When it comes to supererogatory prayers, this issue of moving around in the prayer, then it's much more lenient with supererogatory prayers. Because of a hadith we've already done. Open the door? Hmm? Uh, but the hadith, that wasn't a hadith. One of the hadith that we covered. That issue we mentioned it. Is it uh, if you're on a riding animal? 
the riding animal. We mentioned about the riding animal, praying on a riding animal, the supererogatory prayers, make the takbir whilst you're facing the Kaaba, then wherever the riding animal moves, and you're obviously moving on top of it with it in those directions, and the prayer is still correct. So that was with regards to the supererogatory prayers. But as for the uh, obligatory prayers, and the issue is as we mentioned here. Uh, in the second narration, it said, Iyaka be warned. Be warned from this movement. فَإِنَّهُ هَلَكَ لِأَنَّهُ يُنْقِسُ ثَوَابِ الْمُصَلِّ وَلِأَنَّهُ يُدْخِلُ الشَّيْطَانَ عَلَيْهِ فَيُوَصْوِسُ لَهُ فِي صَلَاتِهِ وَيُشْغِلُهُ عَنْهَا Now this is something that will destroy you. It is something that uh, causes great deficiency because the shaitan, he comes and whispers to a person and causes him to move around or to uh, be distracted with movements here and there and touching this and touching that and doing this and doing that and moving his hands everywhere. All these types of movements and distractions, they cause the khushu of a person to decrease, and therefore the reward of a person to decrease. So, so far, it should be understood that the reward of a prayer will be dependent on how much khushu a person has, how focused and concentrating the person is in that prayer. And the more of these types of actions that occur from an individual, the more his mind is wandering elsewhere, his focus is elsewhere, then the more his khushu' it decreases, and the more his reward it decreases, to the extent a person may only receive a tenth of the reward of that prayer. So we'll conclude upon that, and uh, next time we'll complete the chapter on khushu' some of the other narrations that are mentioned regarding it, and some of the actions that should be avoided in the prayer, because they also uh, cause deficiency in that khushu' and reward. That will be concluded next time, inshallah ta'ala, in two weeks. And then after that, we'll start the chapter regarding the mosques. The rules and regulations about the mosque. What are the things that are upon you to do in the masjid, entering the masjid, leaving the masjid, within the masjid. The rules and regulations of mosques. That we'll do next time. And all of this is building up to coming to the actual description of the prayer. All of these things are preliminary Understanding the rules of the adhan, understanding the rules of the times of the prayer, understanding the rules about the masjid and how you behave within it. All of that to come to the actual act of worship of how to pray properly with all of this other background in place as well. So inshallah ta'ala will conclude that or continue in two weeks time.